This weekend at Kohl's, take an extra 15% off. Save on men's and women's denim. Get Under Armour shoes for the family, $59.99 and under. And pick up a Power XL air fryer, just $84.99. Plus, take an extra $10 off your back-to-school purchase of $50 or more. Plus, store drive up. And get a little more for your wallet with Kohl's Cash. Shop Kohl's and Kohl's.com. Select styles, 15% off with promo code Notebook and August 16th. Under Armour offers and coupons do not apply. 10 off 50 with promo code BTS10 and August 23rd. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. Howdy and welcome to episode 2 of Mr. Lou's Movie and Music Reviews. Today, we have a very special theme. Welcome to episode two of Mr. Lou's Movie and Music Review. Chuck, what's tonight's theme? Ah, I see, I see. Mm-hmm. A twist. Ah, interesting, interesting theme. Good pick, Chuck. All right, so, so over the quarantine period that we are all experiencing at this time, I'm going to be reviewing five of the best and five of the not-so-best twists in movies. These uh, recommendations come at a time when, you know, we're all spending a lot of time in front of our television. So, without further ado, let's start with number five of the best. But before we get started, one thing. There will be spoilers for some of the movies that we will be reviewing. Fair warning. All right, so let's get started. Number five. Maybe Joel Osmond also saw an Oscar nomination for that particular role. I'm talking about M. Night Shyamalan's 1999 debut film, The Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense is the movie of a young boy who, like you heard in the uh, soundbite there, sees dead people. He's a clairvoyant, can see people who have passed away, passes on messages to um, loved ones, relatives, and... Bruce Willis's character is his psychiatrist, a guy that tries to figure him out, understand him, and, and let him know that what he's experiencing is okay. Tony Collette plays his mother, who at first is unbelieving until he gives her a message, and all of a sudden, shit, I believe. The bottom line, however, is that this movie is very well written. M. Night Shyamalan directed this movie impeccably. It's a pretty impressive debut film. By a guy who really nobody had even heard of. I mean, the the acting in this, like we mentioned earlier, uh, Haley Joel Osment and Tony Collette were both nominated for the Best Supporting Actor and Actress category for this movie. M. Night Shyamalan was nominated for Best Director and Best Script. Didn't win any of those. However, it's a movie that still has stood the test of time. Something that I just recently watched. And I am still um, pretty intrigued in how he put this together. I mean... Let's face it, this is one of those films that if you watch it a second or third time, you will never watch it the same way you did the very first time because it catches you by surprise. Which brings me to another point. I've had friends and I've had um, some family members who sit there and tell me, you know what, I already knew that Dr. Malcolm, the the role played by um, Bruce Willis, 
I already knew that he was dead and that he was talking to dead people and blah, blah, blah. And I call bullshit. You didn't fucking know anything. Trust me, this movie is so tight and so well, um, I guess, manufactured or produced that it would it, it would totally just blow my mind if you already knew that the 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 um the punch or not the punch but the the uh, end game was that Bruce Willis's character was no longer with us and was just part of this kid's clairvoyance anyways M Night Shyamalan's 1999 The Sixth Sense if you would like to rewatch it or watch it for the first time it is available on Showtime so if you have that kudos to you and uh, let me know what you think of that particular pick so in 2004, M. Night Shyamalan put together a pretty good cast. Joaquin Phoenix, who just recently won the Academy Award for Best Lead Actor, was in this particular film I'm going to talk about right now. Adrian Brody, who had won the Oscar for The Pianist. And William Hurt, who had won it way back in the 80s for a great film called The Kiss of the Spider Woman. Three Oscar winners, right? Plus a up-and-coming um, Bryce Dallas Howard. And Sigourney Weaver's in this movie. And you think to yourself, what could possibly go wrong? You know, M. Night Shyamalan's directing it. And when you finish watching this film, you think to yourself, what the fuck, M. Night Shyamalan? I do not have a say in this matter. August Nicholson is chair of today's meeting. There's a young man who has requested a word with the elders. I'll do have him come forward. for my visit today she did not give her consent or consult me in any form the passing of little daniel nicholson from illness and other events have weighed on my thoughts i ask permission to cross into the forbidden woods and travel to the nearest town i will gather new medicines and i will return with regards to those we don't speak of, I am certain they will let me pass. Creatures can sense emotion and fear. They will see I am pure of intention and not afraid. The end. And that is a uh, recent Oscar winner, Joaquin Phoenix, going in front of his commission called The Elders and uh, asking permission to leave what is this village. Now, the movie is about a... I guess a community that takes place in the 1850s. They live like Quakers or like old time people. They have they get food out of the ground. Their medicines are ancient. But in this case, there's been two things that happen. One is that the brother falls ill. Second, after a bunch of chaos, uh, the character played by Adrian Brody stabs Joaquin Phoenix, and so now they have to send uh, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, who is blind into the past the woods and and into the nearest town so that she can get medicines now the, the obstacle of this is that there are some creatures in the forest named those we do not speak of and so she needs to get past this in order for her to get to the town the twist is that when she finally does this and climbs a wall somehow remember she's blind as a bat decides to 
to climb a wall, all of a sudden we realize that it's modern times and that this community was actually a community of a bunch of fucking hippies back in the day who didn't want to live in the real world. So they formed this utopia of sorts from the, um, from, you know, the 1850s. Now, the reason why this twist is so terrible is for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's a community. There's so many people in this place and what nobody's ever needed a medic before. Um, but, uh, you know, Again, nobody's ever seen planes fly overhead. I mean, there it doesn't seem like she traveled way too far. I mean, to where so when she climbs the uh, she climbs the wall, there's there's a road. I mean, don't cars pass by through there? Aren't cars no noisy? It and for the most part, until you reach that that um, that I guess twist, it was really not that interesting of a movie. There's a budding romance between Joaquin and Dallas Bry- Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, the elders all talk about, you know, elderly communal type stuff. It's really a, um, I would say the polar opposite of what the sixth sense was. The movie is, you know, you you can tell the actors are sitting there wondering to themselves, you know what? I'll say these lines. It's an M night Shyamalan film. He did the sixth sense. I might as well, you know, I I know that this is going to turn out great. And I'm sure that when they watch it, they probably said the same thing I said at the beginning of this before the soundbite, and that was, what the fuck, M. Night Shyamalan? Now, I'll tell you what, I haven't seen any of my friends or family members tell me that they saw that coming in this film, but probably the reason was because no one saw it. But anyways, if you're interested in watching this movie, uh, again, this is like, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the fourth film that he did, and by this point he was well into his slide, M. Night Shyamalan and way into making, you know, Super Bowl commercials. The film leaves you wondering what was the point of all this stuff. Um, I've heard some, you know, people try to tell me that, you know, it was like a slap against, you know, modern society. It was a, uh, a hearkening to a better time. And I call bullshit on all of them. It was just really a bad film done by a guy that once had promising talent. And, um, you know. Unfortunately, it hasn't gotten better for him since. Now, if you're interested in watching this movie, this movie is available on pay on demand. It is $3.99. Um, I would say, you know, sure, why not? Maybe give it the once round. Now, my next film, which is number four for the best twists in films that I've seen, um, stars uh, recent Oscar winner Brad Pitt, former Oscar winner Morgan Freeman, and two-time Oscar winner Kevin Spacey. Uh, Kevin Spacey, of course, lately being in the news for, you know, non-acting activities. Bad, 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 Mr. Spacey. Um, This is a movie about two detectives, one a young punk and one a grizzled veteran who are chasing down a serial killer who is using the seven deadly sins as his calling card. It's up to both of these men to determine what his next move is going to be and try to prevent the next murder before it happens. Greed, sloth, wrath, 
pride, lust, and envy. Seven, hold on. This not even my death. You can expect five more of these. And when God tells you that you need to expect five more of these, you better believe it, pal. This movie was directed by David Fincher, who, of course, directed The Game with Michael Douglas and, more famously, Fight Club with Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. In this film, he directs, um, again, great, great cast, Kevin Spacey, Morgan Freeman, and Brad Pitt. And one of the tightest, one of the most intense, and I would say one of the most thrilling um, films of the 1990s. It's one that sometimes gets overlooked. Some people will also try to tell you that they knew who the serial killer was in this movie which again I call bullshit, <laughs> um, only because uh, you don't see the guy for most of the movie until the very, very end when he, pre when he presents himself. Now, um, the movie, of course, is, has some very famous lines. It also has Oscar winner Gwyneth Paltrow in this movie, and in, um, in the ending of this movie has probably one of the most famous lines in movie recent movie history. Relax, man. I'll tell you what's in the box, but you're not gonna like it. <laughs> one of the, one of the great twists in movies, uh, at least his recent movies, that um, still kind of resonates to this day. Again, it's it's creepy. It's amazingly scary and and, and thrilling and taut at the same time. Um, again, Brad Pitt is incredible in this movie, playing the arrogant little punk. I mean, you almost want to grab the guy and bitch slap him. And he's so, you know, opposite in the movie that he just won the Academy Award for because of that one. He's kind of like the cool dude that's, you know, so laid back in California. And this one, he's just this arrogant little prick. And, and um, it plays well with Morgan Freeman's older, almost retiring type cop that, you know, just wants to do this one last case, get out and retire. Kevin Spacey is creepy as can be in this movie. And um, if you haven't seen it, it is available on um, on pay-per-view. Do yourself a favor. Give your give your, give this movie a look if you haven't done so already. It's uh, it'll be worth your time. 2010. Robert Pattinson was, I think, pretty much coming to the end of that whole Twilight thing, the Kirsten Stewart uh, relationship that he was in, and I think he was kind of like not in the mood to play another blood-sucking vampire of any sort. Um, he considered himself a serious actor, so he decided that he was going to do a film that showed his more serious side, his more leading man side, and so he chose to do a romantic drama, a movie which, um, for the most part, is pretty routine, kind of run-of-the-mill. Um, I know that I've heard some people say, oh, I love it, and so that that's terrific. I thought it was okay. I think a lot of the stuff that I've seen in it before was pretty cliched. The movie's called Remember Me. He plays this rebellious son of a rich businessman and falls in love with a girl who's a, some sort of college student. And, you know, they go through the normal struggles. They go through, you know, he's this and I've lost you. And the next thing you know, they're back together. And when everything seems to be normal and calm and, and finally he's at some sort of peace in his life, he decides to go visit his dad, who he has, to, who he um, 
is is, is uh, set up some sort of told them, hey, come come meet me at my office. And so he does sits in the office and looks out the window. And then we get a glimpse of a little girl in a classroom. And on the chalkboard, it says September 11th, 2001. And when you pan back from uh, from where Robert Patterson is standing, you sit there and all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, is that the Twin Towers? No way! And so, of course, history telling you what it is, you know, you realize that, hey, he dies. And, and um, the next thing you know, you see his girlfriend somewhat crying. And then they're at a cemetery where there is a tombstone in his name. That twist is, has to be one of the most self ingrating most disturbing plot twist ever in a movie because the movie was rolling along fine i mean it was it was your run of the mill romance kind of drama however it's the 911 really i mean i mean look we've we've uh, we've seen films in the past where there's romances and somebody ends up dying like love story the girl dies of cancer then you have titanic you know jack i'll never let you go and she does just that after he freezes to death in the in the ocean and so there's a big tradition of people you know dying tragically or young or whatever in in movies that have a lot of romance in it why 9-11 (laughs) why that is just the the most insane goddamn fucking decision i mean I, I i would i wish i was in that room with the directors and the writers of this film and, th- and and asking them are you sure you want to do this because that just seems a little you know i mean what were they trying to achieve with with equating this with 9-11 were they trying to do a nod to it were they because the tragedy itself can garner a million different movies so to end it on that note just seemed not only uh, um i, I guess uh I guess a vision of grandeur by this director, but also it's just a poor choice. It's really poor choice, man. That's all I can. I mean, I'm I'm I've I've saw it one time, and I'm still I'm still like blown away and and almost like without words at how what a bad choice that was. Again, it's a run of the mill romance. I mean, Robert uh, Robert Pattinson didn't really show me much, and you know. The girl was good, and you know Pierce Bronson's in it, looking kind of you know like an overweight James Bond. But that whole choice of nine eleven at the end to show some sort of tragic separation between the couple was just a bad fucking choice. If you are interested in watching this film, and you know, I guess get into the whole love story aspect of it, it, it is on Showtime. You can watch it on there. Uh, if you have that available to you, um, again, there is no reason there. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> By 2001, Nicole Kidman had already won an Academy Award, had divorced Tom Cruise, and got herself away from Scientology. Good on you, girl. All right. But she also did one of the better movies of the first part of the 2000s, and it has one of the greatest twists in movies. Be 
Yes, they're dead. There's a lot of dead voices, a lot of craziness going on in this movie. Nicole Kidman plays the mother of two young children who is waiting for her husband's return from World War II in an old mansion somewhere in England. In this time, they, she and her children hear constant voices all the time around the house. And they try to find them. And, and you get through your usual, you know, go into a room and the room is empty. Then they're then, 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 they, excuse me, then they are met by three people who, as you just heard in the scene, discover that, hey, they're dead. So what's going on here? And so she doesn't let them in the house. And, and she's, you know, there's a lot of haunting going on. But in one of the greatest twists at the very end, and, and I gotta admit, when I first saw this movie, I was thinking to myself, where the hell is this movie going? What, what's going on here? Because it kind of seems to go round and round itself. And um, the the thing that keeps me very interesting is that the, the actors in this film are, are very, you know, they do a great performance. Nicole Kidman, in, in, you know, she's hardly ever bad in just about anything. But um, it, it, it was kind of a, a, a hard watch the very first time I ever saw it. But... When the payoff came around, I was like, geez, Louise, what an incredible, incredible movie. Um, the movie's called The Others. And uh, again, I'm not much for ghost films and I'm not much for, you know, haunted houses or even horror films for that matter. I mean, I'll watch them and I'll review them and I take them for what they are. But this is actually a very good film. It was written by Alejandro Amenabar and directed by him as well. Um, and um, it stars again Nicole Kidman, Fiona Flanagan, and Christopher Eccleston. Um, very well written. Again, it kind of reminds me of our first film, The Sixth Sense, where um, it, it is again in, in so, so so well made that you never see the twist coming. And when it does, you sit there and think to yourself, you know what? I've probably seen this kind of thing a million times before, but it's so well made that you you want to stick around for the end. Um, when it, when it, when I first saw it, I was sitting there going, you know, scratching my head going, son bitch, how'd I miss that? And, um, I did. Um, I've watched it several times since. It's one of those movies where, um, you can't help but, but still be intrigued by it. So well acted. And, um, one of my big recommendations for, um, for their time at home, if you want to sit there and see again, really good twists. Um, this movie is available on HBO Go. Um, so if you have the, if you have this app, please watch this film. It's incredible. It's, and, and, um, I want to know what you guys think about this particular choice. All right. We're up to number three on the, uh, other column of worst twists ever. Um, and this one really does fall under the worst twist ever. I remember I went to go see this movie at the movie theater back in 2004, or sorry, 2003. And by this time, I was, you know, I, I liked Kevin Spacey's work. Kevin Spacey, by this point, had already won two Academy Awards. This movie also had Kate Winslet and Laura Linney, who are two really great lead actresses. The movie is a film on the death penalty. And uh, it's it was directed by actually one of my favorite directors, Alan Parker, who by this point had done great movies like The Wall, Mississippi, Mississippi Burning, The Commitments, which is a great film. And so I thought to myself, what can possibly go wrong? And guess what? Something fucking possibly went awfully wrong in this film. Um, the, movie ta- the movie is about a man who's on death row. And he is being interviewed 
by uh, the Kate Winslet character, whose name happens to be Bitsy. Um, you know, the moment you're accepting a role like it with the name Bitsy, you know, things aren't going to end well. <laughs> but uh, Kevin Spacey um, is playing David Gellerman, who's on death row for killing a friend. And there's a lot of, you know, chasing around. Uh, you know, um, Kate Winslet's character is, 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 believes that he's innocent tries to prove it there's an investigation of some sort because she's a journalist and there's a videotape that they find at the end but ultimately he ends up on death row and at the very end when this videotape is dropped on her lap she sees it realizes that the friend committed suicide and kevin spacey was in it all along in a shitty fucking stupid attempt in trying to prove that our justice system is shit now if you need to sit there and commit suicide and then get yourself electrocuted, uh, because I believe this takes place in Texas, and get yourself electrocuted to prove that our justice system is fucked up, then you are really dumber than a lot of people who already knew this. Um, the film tries to be serious to a point of, of uh, with the death sentence or with the death penalty argument. The thing is that it doesn't make an argument at all. It tries to be a thriller. It tries to be a suspense film. It tries to be a mystery. And in the end, it turns out to just be shit. There's far better films that um, have expressed this sentiment. Uh, um, Dead Man Walking is a good example. I, I remember speaking to um, Gary Merchant on this particular film. And he enjoys it because it gives you both sides of the argument. It gives it to you fairly and it gives it to you intelligently. Something this movie lacks on both counts. I wanted to sit there and um, I wanted to sit there and look up for a soundbite, but at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, why? I mean, if you if you really want to watch this movie and and see how great artists at times can make disastrous films, this is the one to watch. Now, in looking up the availability of this movie. Um, I can tell you that it's available on several apps. It looks like none of the major <laughs> cable channels wanted to take on this film. Um, it's on, uh, if you have the app for Bravo, if you have the app for eNow, if you have the app for NBC, it's available for free on those platforms. Um, again, I, I'm actually very interested if, if anybody wishes to make a comment on this. What do you think of this particular film? Because again... Um, in my opinion, in the way that I saw this movie, it's a disaster from beginning to end. Um, I, I don't really understand how people who could be that creative and that good can choose to do shit this bad. All right, moving on. So in 1977, George Lucas presented us with a galaxy far, far away at a time when special effects were not as great as they are today. Yet he provided us with one of the grandest spectacles ever put onto a summer audience today it's considered a classic of course i'm talking about the great uh, star wars which in 1977 was just called star wars today of course it's called episode four the a new hope uh in 1980 Irvin kushner took over the directorial reigns and um he provided us with probably arguably one of the greatest sequels ever um, this has been a topic of conversation with uh, a few of my friends. My brother, who is a huge, huge fan of this, uh, Mescaleto, and I know Jay is as well. Um, but one of the great moments of part two is, you know, you have great battle, battle scenes. You probably have a better developed story. 
but it also offers you one of the greatest twists in movie history. Now, with the advent of the prequels and, of course, the fact that this movie came out in 1980 and just about everybody and their goddamn mother know that uh, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's dad, Anakin Skywalker, of course, it might kind of sound like a cheesy choice to do this. However, we have to look at it in the context of how the film, when the film was made. When that revelation happened back in 1980, I bet you, I know that about half the audience shit themselves going, what? And uh, <laughs> believe me, I was one of those. I was one of those guys um, who who just couldn't believe that that this was true. You know, um, I thought to myself back then. Of course, there were no prequels back then. I just thought to myself, how the fuck does Darth Vader even even think about having kids? How does he do it, right? Um, but of course, it stands out as one of the greatest greatest twists, one of the greatest uh, reveals in the history of motion pictures. Um, the the and it also i mean if you haven't really gotten into the uh, the uh, star wars galaxy or whatever i know that it's kind of been a little drowned out by the prequels and by the sequels for the of the original um trilogy that came out in the 70s and early 80s however um if you're going to watch any of them watch the watch a new hope watch empire strikes back watch return of the jedi return of the jedi is probably the weakest one of the three um but nonetheless superior to either the prequels or the um or the uh, sequels that have come out and again if i've ruined that for you and you hadn't watched it before i apologize but really when you watch it in the context of the films it is one of the greatest moments ever and and empire strikes back in my view is one of the greatest sequels ever ever done so again do yourself a favor watch this movie of course this movie is available on disney plus um, all, all, and everything Star Wars is on that channel. Um, I, um, I actually think that actually I would even recommend that you gra- that you grab it, especially if you have children, you know, and maybe they're not into the whole um, the whole Star Wars thing. But there are all the cartoons, all the animated films. Um, a very good, very cool app. And just when we thought we were going to get out of this segment with light speed, they drag us back in. There's more. It won't be easy for you to hear it, but you must. 
don't talk that way. You have a power I, I don't understand and could never have. You're wrong, Leia. You have that power, too. In time, you'll learn to use it as I have. Wait a fucking minute. After flirting about for two goddamn movies, you're going to tell me that all of a sudden she's your fucking sister? Get the fuck out of... Get out of here with that. Okay. So with the advent of the uh, the prequels to the Star Wars films, of course we know that Leia and Luke are twins. But up to this point, come on, she's kissed them a couple of times. They've been, they've been flirty-wordy. Even after this scene... He, uh, Han Solo goes up to her and says, "Hey, listen, man. If you want to fuck Luke, it's cool. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll get out of the way." That's the kind of sexual tension they had. And all of a sudden, wait a minute, we're fucking siblings. Hey, would it make would have been great for a good porn scene, I suppose. <laughs> but come on, this is this this was a hell of a plot hole. This was a stupid kind of twist to kind of throw in there at that moment because it gives uh, Luke later on in the film motivation to protect his family when when Darth Vader discovers. That, hey, you know, Leia's your sister. Um, again, Return of the Jedi is probably the weakest of the three films uh, of the original trilogy. Not to say that it's a bad film. It actually is, and it's actually very good. Although the whole Ewoks thing still has me wondering why the hell, how the hell Ewoks could destroy an empire. And, you know, for two films, the Rebellion couldn't do it. Eh, you know, George Lucas. Anyways. Still a good movie, still entertaining, a pretty satisfying conclusion to the original trilogy. Of course, um, The Force Awakens takes place, I believe, 30 years after the events of this film. But the reveal in this movie is that Leia is his sister. Um, Of course, in the prior movie, it was that um, Darth Vader's his father. So there's a lot of, you know... With the Leia thing again, I'm like thinking to myself, "Wait a minute! You're 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 trying to force, not force, but you're laying the foundation for some sort of you know thing going on here." And all of a sudden, you're my sister. Stupid kind of plot twist. They you know maybe it was needed because now it kind of works with the whole um, prequel and the sequel. But uh, I think they may probably could have done it a little better. So Return of the Jedi, just as well as with Empire Strikes Back, both available on the uh, Disney Plus channel. And um, we'll move on to our next film. All right. So my number one worst twist movie plot twist or whatever of all time, or at least that I've seen that, that just led me to it like, what? what? It belongs to the man who's been on this list three times. Once in, in the good film category and twice now with this one. Um In 2002, his follow-up to The Sixth Sense, M. Night Shyamalan, showed us a small rural town in Midwest America somewhere where there are, um, where where apparently aliens like to land and leave crop marks and the whole thing, and, you know, they're all trying to figure it out, what's going on, and and eventually even uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix sees one in a videotape or something, and... 
when the alien finally comes inside the house and is going to take one of the little girls because it was Mel Gibson and, and Joaquin Phoenix and two little girls, you know, Joaquin Phoenix has to slap him around with a bat and then they discover something that, in my mind, I was like, what the fuck? That short scene uh, pretty much shows you when you know Joaquin Phoenix is beating him down with a bat. A glass of water falls on this incredible alien, and it hits him like battery acid would hit you or me. Now, I'm a big fan of science, and anybody who knows me knows that I like to you know discuss and and learn about how science things work. Now, I figured to myself that if I were an alien living in a planet where I've mastered <laughs> Where I've mastered the the art of traveling through space at amazing speeds and uh, from one dimension to the other, know how to avoid black holes and the whole thing through the vastness of space. Why the fuck would I come to a planet where seventy to eighty percent of the fucking place is covered with shit that could kill me? I mean, we could say that about just anything in this planet that could kill us, but water kills you. Why come here? It's it would you know the, and, and to to be fair to M Night Shyamalan, the movie actually wasn't bad up until this point. I kind of felt like like uh, Remember Me in in a really different sense because, like I said, Remember Me was not a great film, was not a bad film, it was an eh film until that stupid ending with nine eleven. But Science was actually not a bad film. It was actually turning out to be interesting. I'm like, okay, you know. I thought there was going to be some sort of other conclusion, like maybe some sort of, you know, um, abduction or something of that kind. Water? Are you fucking serious, M. Night Shyamalan? See, it's distressing because the guy has showed signs of vision, showed signs of creativity, and right off the and right off the bat gets nominated for an Academy Award, and it's been pretty much downhill ever since. Science was the first fucking slippage, his first time that he stepped in shit on the grass. Trying to wipe it off, going down to the village, going down to the girl in the pool, or whatever the hell that movie was called. M. Night Shyamalan, congratulations. Worst fucking plot twist ever. If you are interested in watching this movie, and again, for two-thirds of this movie, is actually not bad to watch. It's just that god-awful fucking twist at the end of it. Um, the movie is available on uh, Cinemax. If you have that app, look for it. Check it out. So again, not bad until you get to that twist. And if you agree with me on that, please, uh, please uh, let me know. If you don't agree with me on that, let me know as well and tell me that you know I'm full of shit. So back in 1995, I had an operation on a certain part of my body, and uh, if you listen to the Rambling Alcoholics at all, um, you know that this has been mentioned several times that I'm missing a certain aspect. <laughs> Of my anatomy, this um, I do not miss any part of my anatomy. Trust me, but um, this is where the rumor started back in 1995. So after the um, operation happened, I um, asked my then wife to, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to be out of commission for a while. Can you go rent me some movies?" And she said, "Fine. Which one do you want me to rent?" And I chose what is, in my opinion, the best twist 
of all time. Um, and I remember watching it sometime around 2.30 in the morning. And uh, when it was over, I was like, what the fuck just happened? That I rewound it. Videotape. I rewound it and I watched it over again. And the movie lays it all out, man. There's the clues. Everything is there. And... Um, it still to this day uh, intrigues me. It, it's still the movie that that's really left me thinking to myself, see, that's kind of how it's done. I know you know something. I know you're not so telling you say something. I'm smarter than you. And I'm gonna find out what I wanna know, whether you like it or not. So a cop's explanation is never that. You know what I'm getting at, Virgil, the truth. Come on, Virgil, no, who do you think you're the street? No, Arch criminal looks at all. Somebody with power. There was somebody who was capable not of tracking his own. You think I just is close to getting caught and sticks his head out? Guys, because you're stupid, verbal. Because you're a cripple. What I want to know is who's the gimp. You know, you've done the whole fucking time. If he comes up for me, he's going to me. I'm sure Keaton is dead. I can't feel my legs. Kaiser. First thing I learned on the job, you know what it was? How to spot a murderer. Tell me you got the cripple in there from New York. Yeah. He mentioned Kaiser Sose. Who? After that. My guess is you'll never hear from him again. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. All right, that's 1995's The Usual Suspect, starring Gabriel Byrne, starring uh, Alec, not Alec Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin, a future Oscar winner, Benicio Del Toro, and the man who won the Academy Award for this particular role as Verbal Kent, Kaiser Soze, Kevin Spacey, who, as we mentioned earlier, is in hot water for other reasons. Anywho, the movie is directed by Brian Singer, who went on to direct uh, a really dismal version of Superman, but in this movie, he's in top form. Mark McQuarrie, who won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay, along with Kevin Spacey winning for Best Supporting Actor, exemplified why the why the 1990s, in a way, were kind of an interesting indie period in in films. You know, starting I I would say with 92s, um, both Crying Game, Reservoir Dogs, along with Pulp Fiction, and some of the other movies that came in that wake. Um, Usual Suspect was one of those movies. Um, it's the story of a small-time petty thief who gets who is the only survivor of a shootout at the San Pedro Harbor here in Cal- in Los Angeles, and um, well, San Pedro, California, and um, he spins a yarn, spins a yarn that has us everybody convinced as to who in the end is this mysterious crime mastermind, Kaiser Soze. Um, the twist in the end, like I said, when I first saw this movie, um, I sat there and I looked at it and I'm like, what the fuck? And so I rewound it. Like, again, it, I didn't have the luxury of DVDs back in those days, so I had to rewind it. And I rewatched it, and at 5 in the morning, I'm sitting there re-looking at this movie going, god damn, what did I just watch? My view, one of the most brilliant films of the 1990s. My favorite pick of the best twist in a plot ever. Um, if you... Um, would like to see this movie it is available on pay-per-view now uh 3.99 i think it's worth every single cent um 
one last thing on this particular film. Um, I've had conversations also with uh, Gary Merchant, the the great but yet not late Gary Merchant on this um, film, and he and I both agree that this is definitely one of those films that the first time you watch it, you're just like stunned, and you could never watch it the same way again, unfortunately, because by this point you know what the twist is, you know where the clues are, you know who's doing what. Still an entertaining entertaining film, greatly acted, and highly recommended. Now, as you know, the show is called Mr. Lou's Movie and Music Review. Uh, in the future, I'll be dedicating more time to um, the music aspect of it. And right now, I kind of want to take that first foray into that. Um, I want to recommend an album from a band that I discovered a while, but I would say about a good four or five years ago on a great show called Austin City Limits, which is on PBS. Um, I've been watching that show for about 30-some years now, and in that time I've discovered so many great artists. Um, I've seen great artists perform in a small venue because the place is a small little theater. But um, what uh, the Austin City Limits show also does is it um, highlights up-and-comers. And one of those up-and-comers that I discovered a couple of years ago is a band called Shovels and Rope. Now, they are a kind of a country-flavored rock group. They, they do a lot of like kind of rockabilly, country-flavored stuff. It's a two-man, uh, uh, I shouldn't say two-man, it's a one-man, one-woman team. Uh, they, are, they are a couple. They actually are a married couple but, uh, and perform just the two of them on stage. And they sound so incredibly well-greased that it's, um, it, it's a shame that I haven't been able to, be, to see them here in L.A., and unfortunately, we won't be able to see any shows until this whole quarantine thing is over. But if you are interested in, in uh, seeing uh, or, or listening to a really, really great record, I would recommend a record that um, I actually got this Christmas called, called Little Seeds. The band is Shovels and Rope, and the name of the record is called Little Seeds. It's, again, um, they're a combination of Americana, a combination of uh, rockabilly, combination of um of kind of country they both sing in unison most of the time and um they're just they're just a phenomenal group i've seen like i said i've seen them on the tube quite a few times and they're just excellent here's a little taste So if you are like me who enjoys all types of music, um, this is a good band that, you know, fuses together quite a lot of different sounds. I'm a big guitar guy, so, you know, this is, uh, this is right up my alley. Um, again, the name of the band is Shovels and Rope. The name of the album is called Little Seeds. It's available on Spotify, and I'm sure it's available on iTunes and any other sort of music platform you can uh, get it. I would recommend it very, very highly, and I would be very interested in seeing what you guys think of the um the suggestion come to the end of our episode two uh please like please subscribe please give me your opinions and please give me ideas and themes of things that you might want to hear as far as what um 
movies you might want me to review or music that you might want me to hear. Despite the fact that I, I have said some opinions about some sort of genres and music on the um, Rambling Alcoholics, I do listen to just about anything. It's just a matter of taste at that point. Um, anyways, um, I'm so glad that you guys were here. Uh, appreciate you guys giving me a listen. Uh, please look for us on the net on the Rambling Network. I am also uh, co-host with my brother Esqueleto on the as of now hiatus uh, Fever on the Pitch Soccer Podcast, and I am an active uh, host uh, with Esqueleto and Jay, who hosts the Jay and B Ray Boxing Podcast. I think that's on hiatus right now too. Uh, but every Friday we record it. By the weekend we have out. The Rambling Alcoholics, which we have, uh, which we do religiously, which we are very, um, very dedicated to. Uh, again, the Rambling Network, and listen to us on the Rambling Alcoholics. My name is Mr. Lou. This has been Mr. Lou's Movie and Music Review, Episode Two. So glad that you guys come around. Please come again, and uh, we'll see you next, or we'll listen to each other next time. Have a good one. soon and it had me a little confused then i found myhealthpolicy.com with myhealthpolicy.com i could go online and compare medicare advantage plans from some top rated national insurers including zero dollar monthly premium plans i could learn about plans in my area and talk with a licensed insurance agent if needed myhealthpolicy.com has made doing my research a whole lot easier my choice, my Medicare, myhealthpolicy.com. If we want to list every way Spreaker can help podcast publishers, well, we need a podcast of our own. Whether you're in charge of long-running series with extensive backlogs or countless limited series, you can organize and monetize your entire catalog with Spreaker. With Spreaker's customizable publisher plan, you can add collaborators, analyze extensive listener analytics, and even share exclusive content through custom RSS feeds. And that's just for starters. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com.